Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor Tyson Harold. Thank you for joining us for part five of our Purify series. As you see behind me, Purify is not spelled wrong. We didn't do that on accident. It's an intentional way to spell Purify with the idea that it's easy to see impurities in other people. But really, the only person who can fix the the problems that's within you is you, right? Being willing to acknowledge that you need God's help and fix that. And so as we've went through this entire series on what it means to purify our motives and our hearts and our actions, you are the only one that can do anything about this today, which is, is good news, but it's also a little bit frustrating because today's topic is a message that applies to every single person in this room, every one of you. Matter of fact, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand today if you find yourself to be a hypocrite. If you didn't raise your hand, you just proved my point, right? So whether you're a believer, non-believer, sinner, saint, go to church all the time, don't go to church all the time, this is one of those messages that it just affects everybody. So last week or a week before, we covered trials, and you may not be in a trial right now. And so that message maybe didn't resonate with you, but this message today, for for whatever reason, God has laid it on our hearts to share today, and it's not an easy one, because Jesus shares some of his most harsh words for hypocrisy. And I want you to know today, if you get real mad, he said it, it wasn't me, I'm just the messenger. But it is one of those things that we all struggle with, right? Hypocrisy is the great rallying cry of non-Christians and atheists and everyone, why they don't want to go to church Right? And when we were not Christians, it was really easy because the standard was ourself. Right? So we didn't feel as hypocritical. We didn't think as hypocritically. But when we started to follow Jesus Christ, the standard was perfection, and we find ourselves falling short of that, and it becomes very frustrating. And so today I want to help you understand how we work through that and what the, the good news is in all of this. And uh, the, the reason why is there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake for you personally in regards to how hypocritical you are and how that interacts with our relationship with the Lord. There's a lot at stake with us publicly among Christians, right? One of the most um, common referenced reasons why people don't want to be Christians is because they're afraid of hypocrites, right? And we just acknowledge we're all hypocrites. And so you're, you're among friends today, and whether you uh, consider yourself extremely hypocritical or, or not that bad, we all have work to do. And so today, before we jump into what we're going to talk about, I would just encourage you, I'm going to pray a real simple prayer, would encourage you to pray the same thing. God, help me understand today where my hypocrisy lies in my own life. And God, we know that you can fix that in our lives, that you can remove that from our lives. And God, we're reminded today that the whole reason we need a Savior is because we're not perfect. And so God, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear the word of your uh, son as he spoke to, to people who struggled with this, and Father, that you might give us grace to, to make some changes in our own lives as well. So Jesus uh, picks up, uh, thank you for being here once again. Thank you also for um, tracking along through this series. This is one of those series that, that is difficult to talk through because we all have impurities in our own life. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. If you want to go ahead and flip there, it'll be behind me on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you that we would love to give to you as our gift to you. But in Matthew 23, Jesus levels some of the harshest words he ever spoke that we know of. And in Matthew chapter 23, he had just silenced the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's at the temple. This is his last public sermon. 
the last thing that we know of that Jesus spoke publicly to a large group of people is on hypocrisy. Of all things he could have talked about, he could have said, make sure you stay around in Jerusalem for a couple more weeks, I'm going to die. No, he didn't say that. He said, this is what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about hypocrisy. And he goes after the Pharisees. Now, you may know, as he starts in Matthew 23, well, let me read it first, and then we'll, we'll jump into explaining it. Matthew 23, verse one says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries long and wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at their banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus begins Matthew 23 there, and it tells us that he speaks to the crowds and to his disciples. And while the immediate context of this passage is levied against the Pharisees, I believe we can take something from it because he was speaking this in a public situation. It wasn't just for the Pharisees to understand. It was for you and I to understand at some point later. And in verse 1, it says that the crowds were there. And he had just silenced the Pharisees were the spiritual rulers of the day. The Sadducees were the political rulers of the day. And he directs this at more specifically the spiritual rulers of the day. He also mentions a group called the scribes or the teachers of the law. And these would have been the people who would have been tasked with um, writing down the scriptures and, and passing them on down and helping people understand what they say. And in Matthew 23 verse 1, he starts out by saying, the, teacher, or two, he, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They sit in Moses' seat. Now, at the beginning of every synagogue, or at the front of every synagogue, I should say, is a seat reserved for Moses. And where Moses' seat was, that was the, the highest seat of honor. It's where the teachers of the law, the scribes, would sit. And in essence, they were saying, as Moses directed us, we're now directing you to follow the words of God. It, it was just a simple seat in the beginning of the synagogue. And the point that Jesus had with the Pharisees is that they set themselves in that seat. They took it upon themselves to say, I'm in charge or we're in charge and we're going to set what God says is most important. I, I took a picture when I was in Israel at a, at, a, at a synagogue here with a guy some of you may know. This is Pastor Ron. He pastored here for a long time. He's sitting in Moses' seat. We let him sit there for a while and then told him he needed to move. But really, no, seriously, he's, he's not a hypocritical guy. You should listen to what he said. But um, this is what it was, and not the wood part, but the stone part he's sitting on is from a first century synagogue. So the, the leaders would sit there, and then they would go out and say whatever they felt was most important. Sometimes it matched up with the word of God, sometimes it didn't match up with the word of God. And Jesus says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. He goes on in verse 3 to say, so you must be careful to do what they tell you to do, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. What an incredible definition of hypocrisy. They do not practice what they preach. And the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees was that they were taking this opportunity to sit themselves up in this high position. They weren't appointed there. They were 
they, they took it upon themselves to sit there and tell people, this is what you must know, and this is what you must do, but they weren't willing to do any of that on their own. And so we get a definition of say one thing, but do another. You know, in spite of all of man's attempts to screw this all up, the great thing is, is that even the Pharisees, the problem was not so much in what they said, it's in what they did, or more specifically, what they didn't do. You know, the word of God is the word of God, and, and God uses his word in spite of all of our attempts to screw it up. And the Pharisees, Jesus didn't have a problem so much with what they said, it was what they didn't do. And so as we look at verse 3, we find one of the, the most important things that we can discover about the Pharisees, and the first point for today is careful devotion leads to honest living. The Pharisees were some of the most devoted people you could know. They followed it down to the nth degree of the law. Matter of fact, they took it even further and wrote a couple other books, the Talmud and the Mishnah, just to make sure that, that you could follow the rules that they had set up. So there's all these rules and regulations. These guys were devoted. But Jesus says in verse 3, be careful to do what they say, but don't do what they do, but they don't practice what they preach. You see, you want to eliminate hypocrisy from your life. Careful devotion leads to honest living. That means we do what we read in the Bible. We live that out in every area we can. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Will we fail? 100% yes. But the goal for all of us should be careful devotion. And that'll lead to honest living. That'll take out the hypocrisy of our lives. If you read something, even if it's just a verse, if you only know one verse of Scripture, follow that verse. If you know 700 verses of Scripture, please follow the 700 that you know. We've got to be better at doing the Bible, not just studying the Bible. And studying the Bible is incredibly important. We should be doing that more as well. But we've got to do the parts that we already know. And Jesus' problem was not so much with what the Pharisees said. It's what they did or or didn't do. And the Pharisees were so close to this, and unfortunately, you and I are close to this at times as well. He goes on in verse 4 to say, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It's bad enough that the Pharisees didn't do what they said they were going to do, but then they took it a step further, and they made it harder on everybody else. So they would sit in Moses' seat, and they would read the law, or they would read portions of scripture, if you will, and then they would add extra things on top of that to make it even more difficult for people. And Jesus has, has got a real problem when we take and make religion hard for people, right? True religion, as James defines, should lift people up, not tear people down, right? That's the very definition of it, right? True religion is this, that you would look out for orphans and widows in their distress and in their time of need. That's, we should be lifting people up. And the Pharisees' problem was that they didn't do what they said they were going to do. They didn't practice what they preached. And more specifically, they were completely bent on making sure it was hard for other people. I don't know about you, but like when you don't understand how to do something, isn't that the most frustrating thing in the world, right? And then somebody else comes alongside you and they're really, really good at this. This was like my, my life story around athletics, right? I, I had this great idea in my head I could do something really cool. My body just would not do it. And I'd watch all my friends do it and I'd be like, oh, I, I think I can do that. And I'd go out there and fall flat on my face. There's a group of people in this room, maybe, or maybe even around us, that want to know more about God. They want to learn more. They don't have a clue how to do it. And so if you've been blessed with growing up in church, and you've been blessed with the opportunity to learn and understand scriptures, come alongside them and help them out. Don't make it harder for them. Help them figure out what they need to do and what they need to learn and how much more they could understand of who God is. It was a problem for the Pharisees. It can be a problem for us, too. He goes on to verse 5, and he says one of the most probably 
crazy statements to me and, 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 and impactful statements. He says in verse 5, everything they do is done for people to see. Everything they do is done for people to see. Everything they do is done for people to see. That is like our culture in one sentence. Everything they do is done for people to see. He goes on and says, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, you may be sitting there going, what's a phylactery? That sounds like not good. Um, <laughs> in the Old Testament, there, there's, a, there's a passage that talks about that we should impress the, the words of the Lord upon our, our forehead and onto our arms. And the Jews took this quite literally where they would literally put the word of God in a box and wrap it around their head and put a word of God around their arms and wrap it up. And this is a picture of an Israeli soldier um, so they still do this today where they've got that box on their head. And as they pray or as they spend time, there's a passage from Exodus and a passage from Deuteronomy. And their thought is, is that they're impressing the word of God upon their, their mind and upon their arms and upon everything. There's nothing wrong necessarily with that. But Jesus says they, the Pharisees took it and they made them even bigger. And they made them wider and longer and the tassels on their garments. We know that, that the rabbis would wear tassels and Part of it was for their prayer. Part of it was just to, for the Pharisees, though, it was done for people to see. They made them bigger so that it would be like, wow, I'm more important. And in case you look at this and you go, well, we don't do anything like that. Oh, yes, we do. Everything they do is done for people to see. I thought of a few things this week, right? Sometimes we'll, um, maybe not you, but other people, like, we'll post how spiritual we are, or pictures of our devotions, or just to let people know what we're doing. And there's nothing wrong with posting verses, right? But is it done for people to see, or is it done for another reason? There's apps like Facetune that you can literally change the way your face looks so that you look better. So that you look better. Everything they do is for people to see. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong necessarily with those things, but when we do everything for people to see, we're headed down the road of hypocrisy. And the only way to purify that is to look back to careful devotion, which leads to honest living, right? I have a friend that was posting some pictures on Instagram and Facebook this week of some of the most beautiful pictures from Italy. She, her husband's stationed over there right now, and so they took a trip to Italy for the week, and they were posting all these pictures. And then at the, I just kind of glanced over it and was like, good for you, Stephanie. And then uh, I looked at the end of it all the way down to the bottom, and she said, you know, the one thing, though, is these pictures don't tell you the story of our week. And I thought, that is so true. And she had lost a couple family members back here in the States and wasn't able to be there with them at that time. And she said, you know, we can post all we want. We can put all we want out online to make ourselves feel good about ourselves and look good. If it's done for people to see, though, we're headed down the hypocritical road. And it was interesting to read as she posted after all those pictures of, of great places that you and I would recognize. She said, it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. I wanted to be home in Atlanta, Georgia to be at the funeral of my aunt. And that's where I wanted to be. Everything they did was for people to see. You see, that what I've come to find is that who you are when no one's looking is who you really are. And that's the scary part. We can clean ourselves up. We can post all the best pictures. We can change everybody's mind in the world to think that we've got it all figured out. But who you are when no one's looking is who you really are. And if that scares you today, then you might be headed towards down the road of hypocrisy. And that might be something that you need to purify. And as we prayed at the beginning, that might be something you need to think about and pray about that God would change that. If there's something going on in your life that only you know about, and if anybody else would be scared if they found out or worried or changed their opinion of you, that's who you really are. And that's scary. 
And that ultimately leads us down the road of hypocrisy. He goes on in verses 6 and 7 to say they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. They made everything about them. And one of the great problems of Christians that we face in this country especially is that we can turn the focus off of Christ and onto ourselves because we, just like the Pharisees, love to be noticed. We love to be appreciated. We love to be recognized. You see, that phrase rabbi for them held a great esteem. They love to have it. It's like what we would refer to probably as doctors, right? When we see a doctor, oh, that's great. They're a good person. They want to help people, right? For them, rabbi was that high phrase. Rabbi was the one that they desired to be. And so the Pharisees, not all Pharisees were necessarily rabbi, but they took it upon themselves, just like they did with Moses' seat, to inject themselves with this title, to take their place at the front of a banquet or at the front of the synagogue, and it was all about them, If that's where you're at in your life today, you're headed down a hypocritical road, whether you realize it or not. He goes on in verse 8 to say, But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, and he's the Messiah. He's speaking of spiritual fathers and leaders, and he he tells them not to, to think of it in this way. Matter of fact, if you, if you know um, Pastor John, he, he never will refer to himself as Pastor John. He just won't. He takes this passage quite seriously. And uh, so it's kind of fun if you want to get with him later, call him Pastor John. It'll be a fun game. But, but he'll never refer to himself that way because he wants to be a brother. And I appreciate that about him. That's his heart's desire is he wants to be a brother because at the foot of the cross, all of us are equal. You see, sometime between when we trusted Christ and where we are now, we forgot the fact that we're brothers. And the Pharisees forgot the fact that they were equal. They had set themselves up as greater than other people. And sometimes you and I do the same thing because if it wasn't for God's grace, we'd be right there with them. We become hypocrites when we think that we're better than others because of our lifestyle or because of our knowledge or because of the fact that we do this or don't do that. And so as we think through what it means to be a hypocrite this morning, that there's, there's a couple things that we can do. First off, we all want to be great. And one way that we can guard against hypocrisy is humility. Take a look at uh, verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Nobody wants to be a loser. They just don't. But we can guard against hypocrisy by practicing humility. And Jesus says that if you want to be great, you'll be humble. You'll be a servant. That's what you need to do. And for the Pharisees that were constantly chasing perfection and were constantly chasing being great, his rebuke of them is not to beat them over the head with a a two-by-four. His rebuke of them is to be humble. Now, I'm sure humble people can be hypocritical, but think of the most humble person you can think of. Hypocrisy is probably not something that you equate with them normally. And so Jesus lays out that, look, the greatest among you will be your servant. And I have to wonder what the Pharisees' response were, because they thought they were great. They probably didn't hear it. It probably went right over their head. Matter of fact, we know it went right over their head, because Jesus goes on for the next 26 verses and rails against specific things the Pharisees did. And so as you think about how to guard against hypocrisy, one of the things you can do is be humble. The other thing you can do is strive for forgiveness and faithfulness. 
strive for forgiveness and for faithfulness. The Pharisees strive for perfection. And that's where they got off. It leads to legalism. It leads to a whole host of other problems. And so for you and I, we can try to be humble. And what we should strive for in every area of our life is faithfulness. And when we don't line up with that faithfulness to God and who he is, we strive for forgiveness. Admitting that we don't have it figured out. How different would the world view us if that's what they saw? Unfortunately, whether it's our fault or our ancestors' fault, when people think of Christianity, they think of the list of do's and they think of the list of don'ts. They don't think of Jesus. But what would it look like if we were faithful people and when we weren't faithful, we were, were seeking forgiveness and people saw the faithfulness and the forgiveness part and not just the rules? What would change in our world? What would be different about what we're going to do? And so we can purify ourselves from hypocrisy, I think, by no longer striving for perfection, but striving for forgiveness and for faithfulness. Perfection leads to pharisaical attitudes and legalism, and you can't be perfect anyways. You just won't. Not this side of, of eternity. You will not be perfect. It doesn't mean we don't strive to be the best person that God wants us to be. It doesn't mean we, but we understand that sometimes we're going to be faithful, and when we're not faithful, we seek forgiveness. Pharisees sought perfection, and it consumed them. They were devoted people, but they weren't carefully devoted. They were devoted to following everything of the law. They were devoted to following all the rules and regulations. But the one thing that they should have been devoted to, which was doing what they said, they failed. And that's where you and I failed today. Jesus goes on, as I mentioned earlier, for the next 26 verses and goes specifically after the Pharisees and some of the things they did. I'd encourage you to read that this week. It's not going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. I feel better about myself kind of stuff. But it'll be a great reminder of why Jesus takes this so seriously. I thought I'd share another reminder of this for you. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, he says this. Um, oops, I should have flipped over there. It says, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you would have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than it will be for you. Jesus goes on for the next 26 verses and uses the phrase, Woe to you, 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 woe to you. Seven times. And that woe was a warning and it was a demonstration that he took hypocrisy very seriously. The reason I showed you Moses' seat earlier was it's from the town of Chorazin. And I want you to see the town of Chorazin from my hotel room on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which should be the next picture here. There is that whole side right there. If you look, there's a little white tent up at the top of the, the image. That's what's left of Chorazin. In the first century, they tried to rebuild Chorazin, and they had the, temple, or the synagogue there, and that's where that seat's found. In the 8th century, they tried to establish it again, and it lasted for a matter of weeks before somebody came and blew it all over. And if you go to Chorazin today, you will see and you will find there is nothing but the rubble of a first century Jewish synagogue in there. I don't share that to scare you today. I share that for you to see that Jesus takes hypocrisy very seriously. When he issued a woe to Chorazin and Bethsaida, he issues a woe to the Pharisees, and it probably would even issue a woe to us today that, hey, he takes this seriously. There's a lot at stake. Your own personal well-being and 
and your own personal devotion to the Lord is at stake, but more importantly, and also, not more importantly, but importantly, is that there's a world of people who use this as their excuse and not saying that this will change their minds, but we can do the best we can. And so as you think about this, hypocrisy leads to our own personal destruction and personal ruins. I, I don't know what you struggle with. I know that God has laid some things upon my heart this week that I need to change. I've been working through that. And I, I hope that he lays some things upon your heart this week that maybe you need to change. And I hope that you'll do that. So I don't have a specific, like, if you do this, then this. But here's what I did think would be helpful is here's three areas I think the church in America struggles with when, in regards to outsiders, when we say one thing and we do another thing. And maybe this is you, maybe it's not, like I said, this is not leveled at anyone other than just the church in North America. Three things I see that we can sometimes be considered hypocrites and non-believers have taken notice and just uh, something for you to think through as we wrap up our time today. First and foremost, number one, we say we're um, pro-life. We say we're pro-life. And unfortunately for a lot of Christians, we're just anti-abortion. If we're going to be pro-life, we have to be for all life, for refugees, for immigrants, for people in prison, for people on the opposite end of the political spectrum, for every single person. If we're going to be pro-life, we got to be for the unborn, and we got to be pro-life for everyone else too. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have laws and we don't abide by things, but we've got to care for everyone, always. And I think the world looks at us and they say, you guys care so much about abortion, but what about the person down the street? What about the person different from you? And so maybe that's you, maybe it's just me, but if we're going to be pro-life, we, we got to be pro-life. Um, number two, we say we value unity. We say we value unity, and the world sees Christians. We're always really good at shooting ourselves in the foot, right, or shooting our other friends in the foot. We say we're all about unity, and denominationalism in the 50s and 60s kind of separated us for a while, and there's kind of some of that breaking down, but I see tribalism starting to, to pack up, and it's almost like a modern-day I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Christ, where we, we get in our tribes, and we think that we can't talk to other people because they don't believe the same things as we do, and the world looks at this and says, you guys can't all even get together on a weekend. How in the world should we trust you for anything else? So we, I think we got to guard against what we think about pro-life. I think we got to guard against what we say about unity, and lastly, we say we're compassionate, but are we really? We say we're compassionate, but are we compassionate? I think we are to the people who look like us, talk like us, act like us, live like us, but maybe not to the LGBT community or others on the opposite end of the political spectrum. And I think what happens is, is the world looks at that and they say, this is what you say, and this is what you do. And so that might not be you. I hope it's not you. It's just three as I look out on the landscape of North American Christianity, some to watch out for. To make sure that we, whatever we know that we're doing those things and that we're following them through faithfully. Because careful devotion leads to honest living. Carefully looking at what God says, applying it to our lives, and then seeking to live that out. Will you be perfect? No. There's good news for that, though, and it's a cost. And so today I thought we'd end with a, a, a story just to help you understand this a little bit better, then we'll move towards communion. The story is told of a, of a small-town preacher in a country church that a lady came up to him after the service and said, Preacher, I'm not coming back next week. And he said, Okay, why not? And she said, Because the church is full of hypocrites. And he said, Okay, um, before you leave, can I ask you to do something real quick for me? And she said, Sure, Preacher, I'll do anything you ask me to do. He goes, I want you to go back to the kitchen. I want you to get a spoon. I want you to fill that spoon with water. I want you to walk around the sanctuary two times without spilling a single drop. 
The lady says, sure, I'll do that. She goes and walks around church two times, didn't spill a single drop. She comes back up to the preacher, and the preacher says, great, what happened? She goes, I didn't spill a single thing. He goes, you're right. Why? And she said, because I was so focused on making sure that nothing happened out of it. And he said, you're right. He said, you're absolutely right. He said, your call is to follow Jesus, not everybody else. Your call is to stay laser-focused on him, not everybody else. As the lady was sitting there, she was obviously bothered by this because, because it's easier to find everyone else. Let me tell you today, if you struggle following Jesus because of the other people around you, you got to ask the hard question, are you following Jesus? I'm not saying that people don't hurt us and not saying I don't want to minimize that. If that's what you've gone through, I don't want to make light of, of whatever's happened to you. But at the end of the day, our call is to follow Jesus and be more like him, not everybody else here. There's a lot of freedom in that, though. You don't have to be like everybody else. You can be God's perfect version of who he wants you to be as you seek to follow him. So what do we do with all this? If careful devotion leads to honest living, I think it leads us to the cross. And a reminder that if every one of us are affected by what we just talked about, there's one solution for it, and it's what Jesus, cross did on, Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I can think of no better way to end our time today than, than with communion. Remember, we do communion because Jesus told us to, to do this in remembrance of me and what his sacrifice was all about. If you've never taken communion with us, just a few logistical things as you go through here today. We take the bread and cup at the same time uh, together, so we're all going to take it together. We'll explain that in just a moment. But we do it because we want to remember our deliverance and celebrate our inheritance. We want to be reminded of the fact that we're delivered from our hypocrisy. And here's the thing. Paul, he goes on to say some of the most uh, scary words about communion. We don't usually read these, but I've been haunted by them since I was a little kid, honestly. Verse 27 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. I don't know what Paul had in mind and how the Corinthians were doing it, but I would just say that for you and for me, one of the things that we probably struggle with is hypocrisy. And so I thought no better way to end today than for you just to examine yourself. It's not for me to examine you. It's not for you, your friends to examine you. It's just for you. And as we look at purifying ourselves from hypocrisy, one of the best things we can do is go back to the fact that we need forgiveness. I would also say that if communion is a time for, for those who are believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, and if you're not a believer, that's okay, just let it pass on. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you what it means to follow Jesus. I'll hang down here afterwards and would be happy to share why I think it's worth following Jesus with every bit of your life. But for those of us who are Christians, we want to give you just a few moments to examine yourself. Maybe it's something of hypocrisy in your life. Maybe it's something else going on. And so we'd invite you to examine yourselves before we spend time at the Lord's table.